Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 35. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going well. Awfully busy this week. We have a software launch, but uh, other than that, things are going pretty good. Oh, lucky you. I actually had a software launch of my own last week. I finally got around to launching my Android application Master Memo. Oh, I saw that. How's that doing? Well, it. I thought it was going all right. Then a couple hours after release, at like 10 o'clock at night, I got a report that there were a couple of crash bugs, and I'm like, oh no. So I stayed up till probably around 12.30 trying to fix those and get those, get the fixes pushed out, which finally was able to do, and it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of adoption for it just because there's so many memo applications out there, but I don't know, hopefully I'll make a little money off of it, but it doesn't look like it'll be much. Are you charging for it? 99, 99 cents. Because uh, okay. you can take text notes and you can do audio. And I was planning on doing a pro version where I do like video and pictures and stuff like that too. But the more I think about it, the more I think I'd prefer to do something else. But I can't seem to come up with an idea that's not already done in the Android marketplace. So, if Well, you can have it like do to-do list and then actually have it do those lists. Yeah. You know, go grocery shopping and have the Android go do grocery shopping for you. So. Yeah, that would be nice. Actually, I don't know. It might be possible with... I know Amazon delivers groceries in some places, so that could be possible. I don't know. But if anybody has any ideas, feel free to stick them in the um, comments at globalgeeknews.com or shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. I am looking for ideas, preferably for applications that there's not a million versions of already because everything that I seem to come up with already has at least 20 different versions so speaking of globalgeeknews.com that's where you can find the show notes to follow along with us as well as you can find the link to the Global Geek News blog otherwise that's globalgeeknews.com slash blog and eventually I'll get it transferred over to globalgeeknewsblog.com but I don't know when that'll happen I can't seem. I still have seem to be having technical issues trying to get that to work. I don't know why, but anyway, I suppose that's all the major announcements. I just wanted to make sure that I announced my app. So anybody with an Android phone, go make sure to go check it out. What was the name uh, of it again? Master Memo. When you can find out a little bit more of it yeah. at mastermemo.com. Although I don't have any screenshots up yet, and okay. and Great. I don't have anything about the. Um, bug fixes that I went through Friday night on it either. I've got to do a post on that probably tonight or tomorrow just so that everybody knows kind of what was fixed and not that there's not any major changes, just a couple of crash bugs being fixed. But Awesome. Anyway, into our first story. Uh, got a couple of acquisition stories or rumors of acquisitions, I, I should say. Apparently, rumor is it that MySpace is looking to acquire iLike for $20 million. Yeah, $20 million uh, for iLike seems like a really good bargain, uh, especially since they were uh, founded in 2006, and then soon after their, uh, their value for $53.2 million. Uh, so $20 million is definitely a, a bargain. Yeah, they've got 50 million users, so that, that's a pretty good user base, but I'm not sure how much this is really going to benefit MySpace since they already have a pretty big music presence as it is. Right. There seems like there's a lot of overlap. The question is, will I like be um, melded into MySpace, or will it stay its own entity and they just use the uniques to drive the same content, or will they just uh, uh, merge uh, merge things that are so similar that allows them to to scale properly, like advertisement and marketing and so on and so forth? Yeah, I don't know. I, I see MySpace is kind of dying anyway. And this is just kind of them taking down another company with them, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, cer- I certainly well, I don't, don't think this will save them by any means. I don't think MySpace is dying. I think they are by by far not the uh, uh, not not a primary player here in the U.S. anymore. But I mean, for music, I think they're still um, they're still notable, and overseas they're still notable. And um, I don't think that uh, they have to be on top just to stay in business. I think they can just scrape along 
with the amount of uniques that they're getting and still be a viable company. They can do an alright business with the way they are, but the problem is that they've allowed people to customize everything, and that, that was kind of their big selling point in the beginning, as to where now everything looks horrible. The site is one giant security issue after another, and I and with nicer looking sites, better performing sites, some sites that have actually a whole lot better function, like a Facebook or something like that, I don't think they can really reinvent themselves without alienating what users they still do have and just to survive. Yeah, MySpace does have like uh, uh, they are definitely a laggard when it comes to innovation. Um, I know that um, Yahoo for a time, they had especially with their email accounts, they had dual accounts in which you can click a button to try the beta and then click out and go to like uh, old content but that required them to maintain two sites. Mm-hmm. Um, if MySpace had enough um, enough uh, uh, staff to maintain two sites, I think they should do that. They should have two sites, one built from the ground up uh, around a model that they, they think looks good, and then try to migrate and, and you know just put a little button on their page saying try our new beta site and have start to have people migrate over there. And then maybe maintain two sites for a year, year and a half or so, and then you know kill the kill the old site, and that would be a way to gradually move people over. Yeah, maybe but with as much bad publicity as they tend to get from um, stuff usually dealing with um, sexual predators and stuff online, being able to try and rebrand themselves right. is going to be very difficult, even if they did do that. Or reach out to their user base and says more sexual predators than any site. Come join us. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be one way to go about it. Although I, I think they, <laughs> just embrace a different crowd. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw it was. I think it's Michigan. I saw the other day that's um, banning sexual predators from all social networking sites, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I forget what state it was too, but yeah. Yeah, it was like up that. in there. I, I think it was Michigan, but I'm not positive. Could have been Wisconsin. Like that. It was up in there. But yeah, I I don't think they've got much of a future. But speaking of things that might not have much of a future in their current form, the newly launched site GDGT, apparently it looks like CBS or Amazon could be possibly looking to purchase them. That's correct. They're two months young, and uh, people are already circling, ready to to pick up their bones and and try to pick up uh, some of their early success. I guess they're trying to get it early before it becomes... Uh, so popular that it'd be too expensive to acquire, um, but this would fit nicely in Amazon's portfolio as in a Gatcher repository, and uh, also would also give them some uh, user data to help with their prediction model too. Yeah, I, I can see it working with Amazon fairly well, but I I can't say I really understand the idea of maybe CBS trying to pick them up or whatever, just because they have so much in CNET that it would be a lot of overlap, I think. Yeah, and also I don't. Um, I, I I am a member of GDGT, and also am a a listener to their podcast. I've listened to all fifty-one episodes, and I have to say that I couldn't I, I couldn't see them wanting to give up their vision so early. So if there was some sort of acquisition talks, there would have to be some sort of agreement of them uh, staying at the helm and having some uh, autonomy for uh, for. Uh, a length of time because you, they're both from Engadget, which are very successful blogs, and they decided to leave that for to do this uh, their own project. So that would lean, lead me to believe that um, they find that seeing the birth of their child is more important uh, than the actual money. They they would probably take it, but they they probably want to see it see it through. Yeah, I it w- it would be sad if they'd be this new and acquired and shut down and folded into something else or whatever just because they've put in I think over like over a year worth of work into it and to mm-hmm. see it go that way within two months that's kind of sad and I think you know um, from a user perspective if they did get acquired I might just jump ship mm-hmm. you know I might just say you know what I'm done I, I don't want I, I thought this was going to be cool and I thought it was a non-corporate, and now it's going to be part of the the big machine that's going to try to see how they can use my data 
uh, to sell stuff to me. Yeah, I just got an account, I think it was last week, and I can't say I was, it's nice, but I can't say I was that impressed. And it still has the feel of a very young site. It's by no means mature, so I I would prefer to see what they can do with it rather than what can be done with it if someone like Amazon purchases them. I agree. Um, I, uh, I I think it needs a little bit more eye candy, a little bit more polish. Um, but I, I think, as they keep saying of how much stuff they want to roll out, I can definitely tell that... I figured... Um, it's it's going to be totally totally different when they finally roll it out uh, completely because they have a huge vision. But that you know, would they say that perfect is the enemy of good? Jeremy, uh, can you hear me? Looks like okay. Yes. Sorry about that. Having issues with my microphone there. And so. Um, if you're a member, you need to friend me. Yeah, I, I was, I haven't really used it at all. I was kind of looking at it for maybe promoting my Android application, but I haven't really done much with it just because I'm not really much of a gadget person. But yeah, they definitely need to expand their catalog, and of course, it's growing every day as more and more people put in content. But uh, I would gotta say that I, I am more of a consumer than a contributor. So um, I, I participated a little bit, but I think I'm going to hold off uh, and revisit it after it's flushed out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see what happens with them. It's also going to be interesting to see what happens with this next story, where a woman who runs a police monitoring blog has been arrested. This is very interesting. I was reading through this, and I couldn't believe some of the the things this woman did. And also how within her legal means she was to do what she did, but yet it seems kind of shady. Um, so she followed and basically uncovered some undercover uh, detectives who are working uh, in drug enforcement. Yeah, and well, apparently... And we had a story about a very similar thing not too long ago where some guy was running a police monitoring blog and got arrested. But So this is not the first story like this, but apparently all of her stuff has just kind of annoyed law enforcement officials and finally they have something that they think that they can shut her up with. Yeah, I wonder if this goes under, falls under First Amendment, you know, the whole can you shop fire in a, a crowded theater. Um, can you um, out uh, police officers, undercover police officers in a public forum? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I guess... Um, knowing that they're they deal with uh, unsavory individuals and putting their true identities and their location endangers them and their family. Uh, but it was all public information. Um, maybe just the uh, maybe they should just change it so that their information isn't public when they do testify. And uh, there's there's got to be some sort of way to keep this from not being public. Yeah, well, you'd think if the cops were doing their jobs that stuff that their undercover people wouldn't be able to be recognized or found or whatever, even by this lady. True. So, I, I would say this is kind of the cops' fault. The, well, there, you know, there's a rumor here that she was dating one of them, and of course, uh, one of them probably introduced them to the rest of the people in the crew, and that's probably where part of the leak came from. So, um... I don't know if they're, what their policy is around talking about their coworkers or what they did. Uh, maybe that needs to be looked at. But um, I, I kind of think that what she's doing is bad, but uh, I also think on the other side that some of the information should be guarded better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I, I would say this is probably a case where everybody's kind of at fault. But I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out, as well as the um, previous story about a police monitoring blogger being arrested. I'm just kind of curious to know how much of this stuff can actually be protected under First Amendment rights. Yeah, I, I want to see how this, uh, with the 
this is something I would actually love to follow. Um, I hope this doesn't disappear uh, from the headlines. I want it, I want follow up. I want to see um, it, what she was charged with and uh, if she actually will get prosecuted. Yeah, so do I. But speaking of following, which some of you may notice we're kind of flying through the stories today. That's on purpose. Don't worry. Hopefully next week we'll be back to normal. But speaking of following, apparently now Gmail has enough of a following that it's overtaken AOL in terms of email usage to become the number three spot in U.S. email. Yeah, so apparently Hotmail and uh, Yahoo Mail are the only two things that are in its site right now. And... um, uh, I can see why. I mean, I'm a Gmail user. I've been a loyal user. Uh, they keep keep adding services. They keep adding storage. Um, they allow pop access. They allow IMAP access. Uh, I can't see a reason why not to have a Gmail account, except for the fact that you would lose um, that the, the lack of portability with uh, with Hotmail and Yahoo Mail to export all that stuff out. I think it's pretty portable now, I think. If I remember correctly, but I'm not... I don't know, it's been a while since I've messed around with any of those features. But I think it's fairly portable now. Uh, from what I've seen, Hotmail, or Yahoo still has a decent email. I mean, I've got... I use all three. I've got a couple of Gmail accounts, a Yahoo, and a Hotmail account. And Yahoo seems to be pretty good. Hotmail mm-hmm. is just a piece of... is just a buggy piece of crap. That that's just the way it's been for the past couple of years, as to where I mm-hmm. almost don't even use it. I, I still got some newsletters and stuff that go there, so I check it a couple times a week. But that's about it. Whereas Gmail, I use for everything. Yahoo is just my abyss of spam. That's where anything where I think I'm going to get spam is what I sign up with that address. I, I'm a strict IMAP user. I, I I don't use the web interface when I when I can help it, um, because I like using a standalone client, and I also like to have access to my email offline. Um, I understand there's like Google Gears and all kinds of stuff, but I'd rather have a client that's uh, going to be kept up to date and uh, has some unique uh, filtering f- features like uh, like Thunderbird and, and also have uh, their plugin architecture. So, um, but but if I remember correctly, uh, Yahoo does have pop but I think you might have to pay for that and hotmail you can only access it them access access them through their client they don't have pop or I'm am I uh, wrong last I heard I think they have um, pop for paid users but I don't know about IMAP yeah. but I think there's like a paid tier that they have that you can get like more storage plus the pop access and stuff yeah I know I know that AOL had has IMAP access, um, but it doesn't look like they help them either. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think this is just kind of part of AOL, nobody hardly using it anymore, and it's just not that cool anymore like it was to, in the 90s to say you have an AOL address or whatever. So mm-hmm. I, I think this is just another indication of the downfall of AOL. Right, and I can totally see why uh, Google is trying to gain as much popularity as possible, seeing that they're looking at Webfinger. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. Basically, they're kind of making a move into the whole, or they're looking to make a move with Webfinger into the whole OpenID world, where essentially it would allow your Gmail address to be your one login ID, like OpenID is. Yeah, it actually looks like it's a melding of OpenID and some other standards to make an all-encompassing umbrella um, to make it more portable. Um, so it will integrate OpenID as part of uh, a direction service in your Gmail account. Um, the question is, well, to be more specific, they're saying that this looks like some sort of standard to use your email address as part of the, your identity protocol on several websites. Mm-hmm. The thing is, it didn't specify that it had to be a Gmail account, which I can assume, but uh, from this article, it doesn't call that out. So I'm not sure if this is going to be an open standard, is this going to be a Google-only standard in which they require a, a Gmail account, or um, hopefully they'll open up and give it to everyone and make it... Because I, I personally have an open ID, and I use it wherever possible, 
But I agree that it is hard to use, and it's not the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, I have an open ID too, but I cannot remember the login. I know the password, but I cannot remember the login address. So I never mm-hmm. get to use it, and I went to go f- try and figure out how to get a new one the other day, and I couldn't even figure out how to get a new open ID account. So I just gave up. I tend to have accounts everywhere anyway, so it's not really that big a deal. Yeah, I have a uh, Verisigns. I get mine through Verisigns, mm-hmm. and um, in order for me to remember mine, I have to. I keep it in my email drafts folder, hmm. um, and that's the only way I can remember it. Um, and it's very, not, it's not convenient. I see it. I was like, oh yeah. Every time I see it, I was like, oh yeah, that's what it is. Oh yeah, that's what it is. But I still cannot commit it to memory. Um, I'm thinking maybe I should just use a short URL to redirect yeah. <laughs> to my own open ID. I just think everywhere needs to use Facebook Connect. That works for me. Yeah, but the thing is, it's still closed. Mm-hmm. It's still closed. I don't, you don't own, own the data, and that's that's my problem with with Facebook Connect. Yeah, yeah. Facebook Connect certainly has its issues, but at least it, if you don't want an account everywhere, you won't have to have it. Right, but the thing is, once you connect them. Uh, to your account, it's not like they only see your login credentials. They see everything you do. You're giving them access to the whole kit and caboodle when you give out, when you do the Facebook Connect, and that's the only thing that you know makes me a little uneasy. Yeah, well, for me, I've always had my up until actually about a week or two ago, I've always had my Facebook very open so that anybody could see it, and I would have all my information out there, email addresses, phone numbers, you name it. it I That's what I kept on my Facebook site until recently, and now I've got it all locked down and everything. But And I guess there was no real reason for that. It's just more of a security measure more than anything. Mm-hmm. That and Generally, I don't have random people friending me on Facebook, so it's not an issue, but Facebook, I tend to make this to where I only friend people that I know. There's a couple of exceptions, but I only friend people that I know. Whereas Twitter, on the other hand, which is where pretty much everything I have to say or content or whatever goes there anyway, that anybody can follow me. I don't care. That's fine with me. Yeah, Facebook, I used to accept everyone, but I've become uh, more picky lately. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I don't know who you are, then usually I won't. I, I'll ask you, hey, where have we met? Met, um, and then ignore everybody else. So, um, but my my Facebook profile is pretty open. Um, but maybe I should do what you did. Maybe I should lock it up. Yeah, that. I mean, it's not a big deal. That's just kind of what I decided to do, just to be safe. I, I don't know. There's some things I don't mind people seeing. There's other things I do. So. I, don't know, I just really don't want my phone number getting out there and everybody calling it. Although it's not so bad now that I have uh, Google Voice, so that's nice. Yeah, well, maybe um, I would let more people in if uh, if I could charge them for them. You know, if I, if I didn't like them. Yeah, that would be real nice. Well, speaking of which, in our next story, apparently I can is been fighting domain tasters which for those of you that don't know what it is um, the domain tasters are similar to um, domain squatters kind of except that they use a risk free I believe it's like a 5 day um, grace period where if within 5 days you decide you don't want the domain you can turn around and cancel it and you never get charged or whatever or at least that's the way it used to work now they've apparently this was a real issue because a lot of um, spammers and stuff, they would go and take a site like Yahoo or whatever, find a m- common misspelling like Y-A-H-O-O-I or something like that. And they would get all these domains that are around that, throw all kinds of ads on it for five days, and then when the five days are over, turn around and get rid of the domains. So they're baking making a bunch of ad money off of mistyped domain names for the most part. Well, now ICANN has been fighting that, and now there's a penalty for withdrawn domains, which is apparently 10 per... You can have... You can withdraw up to 10% of your total domain registrations for a year. Anything over that was initially charged a 20-cent penalty per domain. So and when that happened, um, in June 2008, uh, domain tasting, the with- withdrawn domains 
was over 17.6 million. After the 20 cent penalty, it went down to 2.7 million. Now they've increased the penalty to 6.75 per domain. Now it's dropped to 58,000, and I'm guessing it'll probably be next to nothing next year. Yeah, it, I, I think this is awesome that they've identified the problem, enacted a policy, and then reviewed the policy, and then uh, enhanced it with an, a higher charge. And these are really good results. And at 675, it might actually be worth it just to hold on to those domains. So it, it's it's no monetary incentive to actually withdraw it, actually. Um, so uh, I think this is really awesome, and I hope it continues. But my big question is, what are they doing with all that extra money now? Yeah. Now, if I could just do something about domain squatters, I would be very happy. Because it seems like whenever I go to look up a domain, that's already taken by some squatter. Yeah, it's... it's Well, it's a business. <laughs> well, I was shocked when I found out that I could get mastermemo.com without, and there was no squatter on it. I, yeah, I, what I'm pissed off is that the premium charges for dictionary work. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's real annoying. And with the register I go with, which is through our host, HostMonster, um, I generally don't have any of those premium charges like you'd find like on a GoDaddy or whatever. So I so I don't have to worry about that. Although it used to be where they would have a free privacy thing. So whenever you'd registered a domain with them, which was like 10 bucks a year, you could get a privacy thing so it would protect all your Whois information and uh, that wouldn't be public. Now they're charging like five or six bucks a year for that for some stupid reason. Although, wow. although it seems like I, for everything that I registered before that change, I, it seems that I've been grandfathered into that as to where I don't have to pay for that. Uh, uh, or so it appears. That's that's decent. I think GoDay is two bucks a year for that privacy information. But yeah, that's five bucks is, is pretty yeah. steep. Especially when you consider it's a $10 domain. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I went to register Master Memo. I was about... Sh- it about knocked me over when I saw it's like six bucks a year, especially when it used to be free. That's a little crazy. Yeah, I mean, I understand what ICANN does. I mean, there's a legislative body of the domain, but um, that's some major money that they're pulling in. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I've never really, I can't believe I, I never thought of it before, but what, where, what are they doing with all that cash? I don't have a clue. I would assume that probably goes to just kind of regulating the internet and domain names and the infrastructure and stuff like that. I'm not sure exactly what all they do. All right, let me do let me do a quick calculation. So, fifty-eight thousand two hundred eighteen times six point seven five. That is close to four hundred thousand hmm. dollars, just on withdrawals yeah. that they made in July. That's one month. Yeah, that that that's pretty good. Right, and uh, which is almost uh, uh, close to what, if my math is right, they made five hundred forty thousand dollars. Uh, in in July two thousand eight, mm-hmm. on the just on the twenty cents. Yeah. yeah, that that's a nice little scam they got going there. I'd like to make that kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, this is nice to see. Domain tasting has been a big problem. Of now, if they could just do something about the cyber squatters, I would really like that organization. All right. Well, I mean they. They're they're trying to get something for nothing, which is kind of like this open textbook uh, initiative that uh, that they did in California. Yeah, this kind of surprised me. Apparently, a bunch of um, publishers and stuff like that submitted their uh, books and stuff for a review against for the California educational system or whatever, and the ones that actually passed a hundred percent of California standards were the open source or what are considered the open textbooks. Yeah, so they uh, had 16 textbooks for high school math and science that were reviewed. 
uh, 10 of which uh, meet 90% of California standard, and 4 met 100% of the standard. Yeah. Well, it, I was kind of surprised when I saw the, the ones that actually met the standards were the open source ones rather than the traditional book publishers. All right, and it's the organization called CK12. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is awesome to hear that uh, open source is something that could be a low-cost alternative, especially for CA, California, which which is having a huge budget crisis right now. Yeah, as I recall, I believe with these, they're free. So essentially, all they basically get to get rid of a lot of the cost of many of their books. And I would think if they would use, like, the Gutenberg project and stuff for like English classes they would also get rid of a lot of books for like the English department and stuff for people that are like reading Shakespeare and a lot of the older books that are in the public domain well I think the books or the content themselves are free but I'm guessing that CK12 still makes some money by uh, aggregating all the data and uh doing some of the administrative costs of distributing and maintenance. So um, it's probably a lot lower cost than uh, any other publisher that, that's submitted for this project. Yeah, I'd like to look into their business model, see exactly what it's about, which reminds me, um, have you checked out the book? It's called Free. I believe it's by, I think it's Chris Anderson. All about, all. it's all around the oh. concept of free. Yes. Yes, actually, I have a friend named Chris Anderson, mm-hmm. and he keeps uh, saying that he gets confused with the author. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I just started reading that book last week, and it, if you ever wanted to learn about free and the history of it and stuff like that, it's a pretty cool book, so I highly recommend it. I've been reading it on my Kindle, and I, I would assume it's on places like Audible and stuff, too. But it's definitely worth checking out if I... I, bel- I don't know about, like, in uh, like a softback or hardback version or whatever, but when I got it on my Kindle, it was free. So if you have a Kindle, you might want to check that out. Yeah. Um, he's also known for the famous book, The Long Tail. That's the one I'm more familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, free is um, you know dealing with the rise of the pricing models. Uh, he's a very, very, um, especially in the social media space, he's very well known. Yeah, actually, I hadn't really honestly heard of him until I saw that book when it just happened to come up on Amazon I guess it right it was right when it launched and it and next to the price it was free it's like hey if it's free I might as well check it out <laughs> well this is true to his name yeah yeah it, it seems to be a pretty good book pretty informative book so I highly recommend that but well I'm guessing that when he wrote that he typed all the words instead of using predictive text, um, like in T9? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting study. Apparently, they're saying that texting is making kids stupid because when they... Kids that text a lot, when they go to take a test in school, they're generally the first people to finish the test, but since they... But they tend to get a a lot of wrong answers because when they're using these words and stuff in a real life scenario usually during texting the predictive text does all the spelling correctly and everything for them so they're in the so they're getting lots of wrong answers because they're so used to that that they can't really do without it yeah i don't know if this is the device being the phone is allowing people who are at a low lower um uh lower ability to spell, able to then participate on some level, and then they really need that assistance when they go take a test? Or is it the other way around, which this story seems to imply that texting is making it stupider, and that they had that ability, and now they're losing it because they're not using it anymore? Um, I, I don't know, you know which is causing the other, but I don't think texting can make you illiterate. Yeah, well, I think to be honest, this is just kind of the way English is going. I mean, and there just seem to be a lot of people, specific, usually mainly academics, that are saying, oh, this is so horrible and everything. I think this is just kind of the evolution of the English language. We're just starting to write shorter, and now it's more about 
writing something that looks as it sounds instead of having to deal with all these funny English rules like I before E and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm a habitual user of the F7 key when I'm typing an email. Uh, I need... I, I, I use... Uh, I use spell check as a crutch. And so I can totally see how we're, we're focusing less on the actual mechanics of typing and more on the communication uh, that the person on the other end understand what you're talking about. Yeah. I've... When you, I mean, if you look at history, you can see that language was a lot more formal than our quote-unquote formal language now, and I think it's just evolving like you're saying. Yeah, I, I think this is just the way it's changing. It's just a lot of people don't seem to really understand the fact that it is changing and not that people are becoming dumber, it's just that they're changing. It, I just There's not very enough people that understand that, and I, I think if there were, I think we would start to see a little bit more of a change in the educational system and stuff to kind of embrace this change rather than stick with what's been the status quo for the last hundred years. Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, technology is making other or certain types of discourse more obtainable and more accessible. And uh, it's really making the communic- uh, it's breaking down the barriers uh, and, of communication and letting people choose to communicate in a way that makes it easier and more natural for them. And and really decreasing the the need for a formalized language. Yeah, well, it kind of reminds me of a story I saw a couple of weeks ago about um, cursive handwriting seems to be going away, and that very very few people seem to be using it anymore. And for hundreds of years, it's just kind of been the standard. And if you go back and look at like diaries and stuff from like George Washington or Christopher Columbus and stuff, they're even they're writing all in cursive, but now almost nobody does. I, other than when I sign my name, I don't think I've written in cursive since middle school. Yeah, I mean, well, times are changing. Yeah. I mean, a hundred years ago, we weren't in space. Yeah, <laughs> and now I mean, look at us now. Like uh, the the a, a, a shuttle launch is almost routine. It doesn't even make the news like it used to. Which reminds me, I need to see when the next shuttle launch is because I'd like to fly down there and see one, just one, before they kill the shuttle program. Before they decommission it, yeah, I would, I would love to see that too. Yeah, the only problem with that is you, you never know when something's gonna go wrong or whatever that they end up having to delay the launch for days on end. Yeah, that sucks. And then you have a lot of wasted money. Yeah. Well, speaking of wasted money, apparently, well, actually, this has kind of been common knowledge for several years. But the next story is about how Microsoft is essentially screwing the customers of the Xbox 360 because of the insane prices that they charge for the hard drive. Yeah, there's a huge, hefty premium on their 120 gig hard drive if you, by any chance, if you bought an arcade and you wanted to upgrade it uh, to actually get some storage. Uh, the 120 gig here, according to this, it says is what 135 dollars to 160 dollars retail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, I've got a 360 Pro, I believe it is. So I've got the 20 gig hard drive, which I'm basically out of room on. There's and there's not a whole lot you can put on 20 gigs, and I would like to move up to 120 gigs, but I certainly don't want to pay that price. I might as well just buy a new 360. And that's what they want you to do. <laughs> Apparently so. I, and this is certainly a ripoff. I mean, with what they have, if you're coming to a point where prices are essentially hitting a dollar per gigabyte, that's kind of sad because we haven't seen prices like that in four or five years, maybe. Yeah, well, I, I think this is a play or a diss, I should say on the older systems and the arcade systems. Um, I think this is a giant I told you show, so, and uh, what we were talking about when we were talking about the Kindle DX, that it could be a play that they come out with a more expensive model, so the cheaper model looks more economical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the other way around, where they're com- coming out with a cheaper model, and then you have the 20 and the 160, and just to make the 
the the cheaper ones very undesi- undesirable. And I think that was a, a, the big part of it. And they really are not committed to the to the to the arcade system at all. And it's just there to compete against the Wii in price and say we have the cheapest next generation console on the market and we have the the most advanced one at the same time. Um, but yeah, I'm not surprised that they have it up this high because um, I thought it would, I, if I remember correctly that hard drive was priced at a premium on its debut. Yeah, if I remember right, the 100 gig drive or whatever was 100 and something when it came out. And yeah, economies of scale. Yeah. Well, this is the one area, or one of several areas actually, that the PS3 has a leg up on both the 360 and the Wii in that um, with the PS3, if you run out of space, you can put your own hard drive in there. There's not an issue. You can. I know people that put one terabyte hard drives in their PS3s, two terabyte, two terabyte hard drives in their PS3s, whatever. But because of the custom form factor or whatever that Microsoft uses for the 360, you can't do that. Yeah, the firmware prevents you from going anywhere over the 120. Um, yeah, I, th- I think this is the way that it is, and this doesn't affect most consumers anyway. I wonder what percentage of the arcades in the 20s they have out in the market now. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is really going to come back to bite Microsoft, just because with as much of a push as they've had with the marketplace and with the recent firmware that they came out with last week, which is offering um, full Xbox 360 games on demand, that mm-hmm. space is going to go very quickly. And there's nothing that consumers can do to get a larger drive. And if you try and migrate from one drive to the next, from what I hear, it is an absolute nightmare trying to get your accounts to transfer um, downloaded arcade game games from the Xbox Live Arcade, stuff like that. So... Um, this is. I think this is really going to end up biting them. Yeah. Uh, hopefully during the holidays to get this fixed, especially with the the Zune integration that's supposed to be coming out with the new Zune HD. So you're supposed to be supposed to see a, a lot of content sharing between the two. Um, they they really do need to fix this. This seems like the the weak uh, ring in the chain. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they'll get it figured out. Maybe bring out a new Xbox in the future, right? Rumor has it they're coming out with a new one next year anyway. One that, from the sounds of it's going to be bundled with Project Natal. So, hopefully we'll get, maybe see a fix in this issue, but I would say I would maybe more hold my breath for the next version of the Xbox before we see a real fix to this problem. Yeah, maybe they don't think that people will download a lot of movies because they're going to be the only console with Netflix streaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that that's one big thing that they have on their side. This this is actually one of those um, rumor busters that's kind of been floating around out there because for many months now, actually probably been a year or more, there's been rumors that Netflix was going to come to like the PS3. There were some, there were a couple of rumors that it might even come to the Wii. But it turns out that with this latest firmware that came out, they're now saying that Netflix is an exclusive to the Xbox 360. Yeah, it's it's the, the it says it'll be the only games console that'll have Netflix. But I wonder what they define as game console because um, Netflix just launched for the iPhone, and some people are calling it a, a game platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, now that I think about it, I think there's a piece of software, I believe it's called, like, OnPlay or something like that, where you can... In, play or, on. Yeah, play on, that you can install, and you can run Netflix on your PS3. So, if you want to run Netflix on your PS3 or whatever, you're not completely shut out, but if you want official support, it's not coming. Right. And I think uh, this is a a good thing for Microsoft, but I wonder, do you think this hurts Netflix more than it helps Microsoft? You know, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering 
how much Microsoft paid for this to be an exclusive deal. Because you know they had to have been in talks with Sony or whatever. As to where now, if Sony wants to make a streaming play, basically their only option is Hulu, which, as of right now, Hulu is blocking the PS3 from getting any videos. Yeah, and... um... I mean, they could always use, like, TV.com, I guess, uh, or some other streaming service. But, you know, Netflix seems to be the darling of the industry at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, I wish there would be some deal, some details of deals like this that come out. Because I would really like to know how much they paid for this. I also like to know how long they're exclusive for. Yeah. I mean, it can't be forever. Yeah, I well, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's exclusive for the rest of the 360 life. I mean, to be honest, I would I would expect a new version of the Xbox to maybe be announced next year and then come out the following year. That that's just kind of my guess just from kind of watching game console life cycles and stuff like that and the fact that like EA producers are saying that they've already hit the upper limits of what the 360 can do although still not with a PS3, just because you got seven cores compared to three on the processor. But I would suspect that we would see a new 360, or a new, or an Xbox 720 or whatever, announced maybe next year, and then, and something like that, maybe having Project Natal built right into the device. So I, I'm guessing we would probably see that maybe announced next year and then come out the following year. That That's just my guess at this point. Well, yeah, Netflix has already has always been, well, has been in bed with Microsoft for a while when they did their Silverlight rollout, remember mm-hmm. that? Right. And uh, well, I hope this also means it's a precursor to the uh, Netflix coming to the Zoom and maybe even the Microsoft Marketplace. Yeah. Uh, because I know they, they rolled out Netflix to um, Vista Media Center and I'm guessing it's going to be in Seven's Media Center also. So they're they're very close together. So I wouldn't be surprised if we if we see this on the Zoom. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see what we're gonna see with the launch of the Zoom HD. What is that next month? I think it is. Yeah, the fifteenth, I believe. September. Yeah, I still haven't decided if I'm gonna get one. I want to get one, but I just got a new iPod Touch, and I don't really see any real reason to get a second Zoom because I, I still have my one Zoom, but I haven't really used it. And I, generally, I prefer the audio quality of the Zoom but I don't have all the applications for it, so that's what's kind of keeping me away from the Zune HD right now, although I do like the idea of it being having like an HDMI port and stuff that you can plug it into devices to play videos. I've only, from, from that, I've, I've seen that you all, you have to have the dock in order to have the HDMI out. There's oh, really? no uh, direct connector or correct, direct uh, cable that you can use. You have to have the dock. And the, the the I was totally on the Zoom train until I found out that it didn't have Bluetooth, which is something that I use heavily at work and is a really big detractor. Um, but I, I really do like the Zoom. It looks very pretty and uh, looks very portable. And the battery life looks awesome, except for I read, um, if you've been following me on Twitter, I read that they did battery tests this month in August on preliminary, preliminary, preliminary hardware like non-finalized hardware, which means that I think they're rushing the Zune out if they're still doing testing on non-final hardware. Yeah, I think I must have missed that one. That must have been when I had TweetDeck turned off or something like that. But yeah, the, I'm kind of curious to see what the hard, what the battery tests and stuff are going to be like on the final hardware because the Zune is the first thing to use NVIDIA's new Tegra video graphics chip. Right. And it's a dual-core dual ARM up to 600 megahertz each core. Um, it looks really nice. It looks really good. Um, but, yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I'm going to wait, and we're going to have to actually see until people get get it in their hands. And uh, the, there's a rumor also that it's going to be um, it's going to be paired with a new Zune software, and so I'm wondering what that will bring. Uh, so I, I'm going to have to sit back and see if there's anything compelling to... Uh, way against them, their lack of Bluetooth to see if I can jump on board. Yeah, well, everybody kind of predicted that when it came to 
the Zoom, the, the third generation, which the Zoom HD would be the third generation, is typically when Microsoft tends to get things right. So I I would guess this is probably going to be about as good as everybody hopes it to be. Right. And, of, of course, what they say September 8th is when Apple's supposed to have their announcement of their next-generation iPod Touch. So uh, that would be interesting to see those two head-to-head. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to come down to whether or not Microsoft opens up the Windows, like the Windows Mobile App Store, to the Zoom. I, I think there will be a marketplace, but I think they're going to probably keep them siloed between those two. Yeah, well, I'm kind of curious to see what it comes out with, because I mean they've allowed user-generated content on the Zoom in terms of like games and stuff, although they're generally extremely hard to do, hard to come by or whatever, because it's basically been. Um, Everything's pretty much for that has pretty much been in beta with their XNA stuff, and the, I believe the last firmware update or maybe it was the one before that, something like that, where they they have a couple of games on there now, and there's a community around XNA to put games on there, but I'm not, but there's no real way to, there's no like a store to get them from or anything. They're just kind of a you have to have the code or whatever, compile it and put it on yourself, which is a real pain. Yeah, that's totally not user friendly. Yeah. Anyway, that would be the last of our stories, and we are quite early this week, so anyway, you can find out more about all those stories by going to the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. If you have any comments, suggestions, feel free to leave them in the comments there, or you can shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Also, giving some thought about some new guests to have on the show, if you have any recommendations, shoot me an email on that. Um, don't forget to check out the blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog. And don't forget to check out my Android application if you happen to have an Android phone. Um, and I can't think of anything else, so don't forget to follow me on Twitter, PCNerd37. And most importantly, follow Global Geek News on Twitter. That is the official Twitter account of Global Geek News, so that way... Whenever a new article on the blog goes up, you'll find out the second it goes up. The same with the podcast. So make And once in a while, I'll post various little updates here and there on there, too. So make sure to follow that, and of course, follow you, Wesley83, on Twitter. Yep. And I guess that will do us for this week. So we will see you guys next week. All right. Till then. Later.